This is a social occasion. <laughs> it has been said that uh, social occasions are only warfare concealed. Many prefer it more honest, more open. You fled. Why? Were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. We believe that married people who have transmissible diseases should not have children. No couple who has the disease of feeble-mindedness or insanity or epilepsy should have children. Babies should not be brought into the world when the father's income is obviously inadequate to provide for its food, clothing, or shelter. We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. Try that again. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. The 14th Amendment, the United States Constitution, the Due Process Equal Protection Clauses, looking at those today so to say it's one of my favorite movies would be kind of an understatement but you remember this movie started with a started with a tv episode called space speed in which we met khan nunian singh played by the amendable ricardo montalban who gave one of the really really good performances of star trek as khan nunian singh a survivor of the genetic wars of the 1990s in Earth history. I'm assuming now this is one of those wormhole effect alternate histories. But oddly enough, uh, Khan, as we know, wasn't a good guy, and he was kind of a kind of a jerk. It was these wars in the 1990s, this world war that resulted from this idea that they were going to genetically create a human being who was superior to all others. And Khan, even in Star Trek II, refers to his superior intellect on many occasions. The science fiction element of this is, of course, well known to us. It's science fiction, Dave. Genetic engineering. 
And even in the 60s, that was the stuff of science fiction. I mean, sure, today it's a little more subtle, but in that era, it was unthinkable, right? What if it wasn't? What if it not only wasn't unthinkable, what if we actually tried it? And no, I am not talking about an alternate history. On this day, in 1898, the USS Wisconsin, where the real Americans live, was commissioned by the United States Navy in San Francisco Bay. The people of Wisconsin, Wisconsin, sorry, where the real Americans live, begged the Navy to christen the vessel with a bottle of beer from Wisconsin. You see, it was representative of... Uh, the, nation, the, the state of Wisconsin, and where people lived uh, a beer kind of lifestyle, right? The Navy rejected this, at least that's what we're told, that no, we will use a bottle of California wine to christen the vessel, because the people who drink beer are, it's a stupefying drink, they said, that increases bulk while diminishing usefulness. Now, you might think that that attitude is just typical California wine snobbery. You might think that that's something that rich people would say to poor people, because let's face it, even in that era, people in California, people in high society, tended to look down a little bit on the Midwest, where the real Americans lived, because, well, Midwest was full of immigrants, it was full of people who were Catholics. It was full of people who were not, <laughs> you know what I mean? For those of you not watching the video, I'm doing the raised pinky thing. They weren't cricket, as the British would have said. They weren't up to and touching. In the late 1890s, the late 1880s, actually, a movement began in the United States of America. It was done by people who were was created by people, scientists who were concerned that human beings were not being improved upon. The theory of evolution was becoming well-known, popular, interesting, and it was being tested across the board. But one of the implications of it was, why aren't we improving still? Why aren't we still evolving? Why, are we, why have we failed? So they hit upon these ideas late 1890s through the 1900s, of eugenics here in the United States. They began to create programs for better breeding. They began to run tests on people. They actually invented a word. You want to know what the word is that they invented? Stay with me here. It's one of my favorite words. Moron. They invented that word to describe someone who was not up to and touching their level, I think it's fifth grade, I think is where they set it, educational systems in that era. Anybody that didn't come up to that level was classified as a moron. Now, I didn't mean it in a bad way, the way I say it when I talk about morons, but, but they meant it as someone who was intellectually and genetically inferior to them. Might we want to rethink their use of that word? They were deeply concerned with the idea of better babies 
better lives. Who could possibly be against that? Better babies, the new world movement. We're going to improve human beings by selective breeding. In other words, we're going to give people these tests so that, well, if you score you know, high on this test. Well, here's a woman who scored high on that test. If you're good looking and you score high on this test, here's a woman who's good looking and scores high on the test. Theoretically, because of Mendel's work and the, the rule of three, theoretically, three out of four of your children should be superior genetically. That was what passed for science here in the United States in the late 1890s and early 1900s. Now, an odd effect of this was that entirely, almost entirely, the genetics movement, the official movement of genetics, ignored African Americans. You might think that's weird, Dave. I mean, that was the era of the Jim Crow laws. That was the era when, you know, discrimination was rampant. Exactly. The founders of the eugenics movement looked at the African American community, and in their attempt to improve the Nordic stock, that's what they called it, they saw the Jim Crow laws and the discrimination that was already being practiced, the fact that there were rules about intermarriage and that sort of thing. They saw that as an effective way to cut off the African-American race. That's the term they would have used. It's, obviously, we know it's not correct, but they would have seen that. They saw that as sufficient to keep them out of the preferred gea, genetic, 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 making up words now genetic pool. Oddly enough here, however, there were African Americans who didn't see it quite the same way. People like uh, W.E. Du Bois, Bois, uh, other people who were involved with this, they saw this eugenics movement as potentially salvation for the African American races. Again, their word, not mine. They, Du Bois, actually talked about the 10%, the the, the top 10% of the African-American race, and he encouraged them to interrelate with one another based on intelligence, strength, beauty, to try to create a better, again, their words, not mine, better black American who would better then be able to assimilate into American society. They saw the eugenics program as a potential way to gain more freedoms. That's how pervasive the eugenics program had become in the United States in the late 1800s and early 1900s. But of course, for a lot of reasons that I don't have time to go into, because this isn't a science show, you can read it yourself, you can look them up yourself, the whole concept behind genetics ignored too many of the actual factors that were being involved. It relied too heavily on Mendel's work about the, the, the rule of three, and it failed to account for environmental factors. I mean, it's, it's literally coming to America. The movie Coming to America, environment versus heredity. Well, it's not versus, it's environment plus or genetics plus. It's both. And at that point in history... People had not realized this yet. But because eugenics seemed to be a promising, promising way to not just improve the human race, 
but specifically to improve the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant race, status quo, as it were, it was perceived and used in that manner. The intelligence tests were written so that people who were not native English speakers, regardless of how smart they were or how good-looking they were or how strong they were, would have absolutely no chance of passing them whatsoever. So an immigrant coming in through Ellis Island was probably not going to pass that test and would be labeled moron or lower, and thus laws were being put into place that would limit what they could and could not do. This isn't fantasy, folks. This isn't Star Trek history. This is actually what happened in the United States of America. And so those groups of people tended to clump together because why wouldn't they? They weren't really permitted to go anywhere else. They weren't really permitted to be involved with anything else. So they ended up in places like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where the real Americans live, making the beer that they drank back in the homeland. And one day they asked the Navy to christen the ship with it, and the Navy said, (laughs) that is beneath us. You are the others. This otherism became really, really intensified in the United States. They began to pass sterilization laws. Laws that required people who were, what's the term for them? not better babies, who had some issues. They began to pass laws that required the sterilization of those people. This may seem to you to be oddly familiar. You've probably heard of these programs. The T9 program, right? We've all heard of that. Oh, wait, Dave. That was Nazi Germany. You're right, it was. And... Where do you think Adolf Hitler got the idea? In fact, at the Nuremberg trials later on after the war, there would be arguments from the defensive side of some of the Nazi criminals. How can this be? How could our sterilization program be a a crime against humanity? The United States does it. Why can't we? You're just making up laws just to, uh, to make us uncomfortable. It's, it's an uncomfortable part of our history. That in the 1900s, late 1890s, well into the period before World War II, sterilization of people who were considered to be genetically not up to perfect, not up to standards, was common practice. And laws began to be passed that would allow for this. The first law that was passed for it was quickly struck down by its state court. They said, what are you, insane? No, you can't do that. And so it fell to Virginia, state of Virginia, to write a new law, which they did. They studied things, and they looked at things, and they tested things, and they went around things, and they wrote procedures, and they they finally came up with this law that would allow them to sterilize people that they had classified as insane, epileptic, syphilitic, whatever. Less than the values that society wanted. They didn't want these people potentially intermingling with white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and reproducing genetically inferior people. I'm not making this up again, folks. You can look it up yourself. In fact, they wrote this law, which until 1974 was still on the books in Virginia. 
And why was it still on the books? Well, there came a pair of ladies, a mother and a daughter. The mother was drunk, a drunkard, a prostitute, uh, syphilitic. She was, you know, not well-educated, not considered good stock, as it were. And, of course, her daughter, whose name was Carrie, was in a similar place. She was the daughter of a woman who was syphilitic, you know, drunkard, prostitution. And so it was considered likely that she would be the same. And, in fact, she was sent to a foster family. Foster family left her in school until she was in the fifth grade. The fifth grade teachers would later say that she was a perfectly average student. She was doing fine. She was learning. She was doing amazing. Speaking as the father of a fifth grader, I can see where that's important. They pulled her out. The foster parents pulled her out of school and hired her out as a house cleaner because they didn't think she was worth it. And eventually, she was committed to the Virginia's, Virginia's State Institution. I believe it was in Lynchburg, if I remember correctly, where it was decided in 1926 that she, Carrie Buck was her last name, would become the test case for Virginia's new law allowing the state of Virginia to sterilize people that it did not feel were genetically worthwhile. Just let it marinate for just a moment. The state of Virginia had a law that said that they could sterilize people who were genetically inferior, not up to standard, not Nazi Germany. The state of Virginia, which, by the way, was one of 35 states that ultimately had these laws. State of Virginia, and the reason that they had these laws was because the state of Virginia was... And maybe is. I've, I used to live there. I kind of like Virginia. There's a lot of nice things about it. There's a lot of bad things. But it's like anywhere else. But they realized that they had a problem, which was very simply that we think this law is valid. We think it's constitutional. We think that it survives all those challenges. But we don't know that. We need a test case. And so they implemented their law. They told this woman, Carrie Buck, that she was going to be sterilized against her will. But thankfully, the wonderful state of Virginia has in fact, you know, put together this law which allows for you to appeal this process. So here's a lawyer <laughs> that we're going to give to you and his entire job is to handle your side of the case. In other words, his entire job was to make sure that this case, no matter what happened, made it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. So, of course, in Virginia, she loses at every level, and her attorney then appeals it to the United States Supreme Court, which decides to hear the case in 1927. They decide that <laughs> this is important because genetics has permeated society. Genetic, eugenics, sorry, not genetics, eugenics, has permeated all of our society. There is this overwhelming, we got booths at world fairs talking about how the future is going to be so much better because of eugenics, because our babies are going to be, you know, genetically selected as opposed to being whatever. And on May 27th, 1926, 27. 
somewhere. It's either 26 or 27. Sorry, I'm having a brain fart right at the moment. The Supreme Court of the United States upheld the Virginia state law. Sorry, March 2nd. State laws providing for the sterilization of feeble-minded persons were sustained today by the United States Supreme Court. Virginia law had been attacked by Carrie Buck, an inmate at the state colony for epileptics and feeble-minded. The state in a, in a, the state said that its enforcement in the public welfare, public welfare, would also result to the advantage of the subject and would permit her release. Hey, she wants to get out of here. And at this time, 15 other states had such laws. And you might be saying to yourself, well, David, couldn't have been an easy decision for the Supreme Court. It had to be one of these sharp... I mean, we're... We are literally strapping people to a table that, we've de- that we have decided, that the state of Virginia has decided are feeble-minded and epileptic. We're going to strap them to the table and sterilize them against their will. Surely that's a violation of the 14th Amendment. Surely this would require a sharply divided 5-4 court that would argue strenuously, and surely this would be... A difficult decision, right? It wasn't. It was an eight-to-one decision, written by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who wrote this. We have seen more than once that the public welfare may call upon its best citizens for their lives. It would be strange if it could not call upon those who already sap the strength of the state for these lesser sacrifices often not felt to be such by those concerned, to prevent our being swamped with incompetence. It is for the better of all the world if instead of wailing to to execute degenerates, offsprings for crime, or to let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those kind who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. The principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. Those are not the words of some Nazi propagandist who was trying to justify the mass murder of millions of people. They're not the words of some Russian-Soviet apparatchik who was trying to justify killing people who didn't want to, that the state found to be, you know, not their best. Those are the words of a Supreme Court justice in the United States of America. And as if that were not enough, he finished it with this statement. Are you sitting down? Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Carrie Buck and her mother... Harry had had a daughter along the way. And so, Holmes, three generations of imbeciles are enough. And that's the Supreme Court of the United States of America. The problem with eugenics, of course, is that it becomes a matter of faith. I know that sounds like a strange thing to say been doing a lot of watching of some science shows. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. And I came across a fascinating discussion 
about the Pythagorean theorem. You know what that is, right? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And it seems on its surface to be very simple. I mean, it's mathematical. It's part of the Euclidean geometry. It's part of, part of everything that makes the world go round, right? But like E equals MC squared has a deeper implication than just an atomic bomb. A squared plus B squared equals C squared has a philosophical implication that we never think about. Well, some people have, but we don't, as a general rule, think about it. And one of the things that it has is a linear process. It has a linear absolute. This is true. This is true. So this must also be true. If a good-looking person mates with another good-looking, intelligent, uh, good-looking person, you're going to get a good-looking baby. My wife and I disproved that. My wife is very good-looking. I'm not, and my son is good-looking. So how does that work? Intelligence. Parent A is intelligent. Parent B is intelligent. QED C, child C, must be intelligent. There's a linear ideology here that becomes more reminiscent of faith than it does science. And in fact, it's the eugenics movement that sort of infiltrates in many ways the faith community of the early part of the, of the 20th century. And even in the Protestant churches, because remember, Catholics are the others. They're, they're beneath. And Jews, oh my God, where they just, they're not genetically good enough. Catholics are better than Jews, but not, you know, great. But Protestants, well, we got to make sure we're, we got to make sure we're mating our children correctly. We got to make sure we're, we're headed in the right direction here with all of this. We got to make sure that this happens. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, what killed all this eugenics program here in the United States? We don't have it now, do we? Do we? What really killed eugenics as a popular science, as a populist movement, was the Depression, the Great Depression. Because all of a sudden, two men standing in the breadline down on 45th Street in New York City might look identical to you, but one might be a former laborer of some kind, and the other could very well have had a Harvard degree. By the time the 1932 eugenics convention came around, there was a great deal of backlash. There was a great deal of, this doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You're missing something. You're missing environment. And you're refusing to accept some realities here about people and human nature in general. You are refusing to do that. Eugenics was cast to, eugenics was easy to accept. I was joking the other day about not being able to read my own handwriting. Eugenics was easy to accept because it preserves the existing hierarchy. It seeks to preserve them. Eugenics leads, lends new weight to the established patriarchies. And when it became clear that it was basically nonsense, it began to be seen as the purview of a few old, white, crazy people. Because they would only see things through a biological lens. 
They would only see things through this ideology that says, my genes are this, your genes are that. Those other people's genes aren't good enough for us, and so we must avoid them. And that literally becomes, like I said, the difference between science and evangelism. And of course, it leads to the logical conclusion, doesn't it? It leads to, in 1933, Adolf Hitler taking charge of Nazi Germany, and within days of his ascension, making it national policy, much like it was in the United States at the time, to not just sterilize, but terminate undesirables. That was part of the problem. In 1935, like I said, 35 states held these laws. Two years after Adolf Hitler comes to power, still these laws still apply inside the United States. And ultimately, 60,000 people, Americans, by some estimates, as many as 100,000 Americans, would be sterilized against their will. They would be essentially strapped to a table in violation of that 14th Amendment and have their ability to procreate taken from them. Right? No state shall make or enforce laws which bridge or privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state divide, deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And yet, thanks to Justice Holmes, well, three generations of imbeciles, he decided, are enough. It's in the best of interests of Americans and our society, of our white Anglo-Saxon society, to stop them. Doesn't that scare you? Again, this isn't Star Trek, folks. This isn't, this isn't some fantasy. This actually happened here in the United States. It wasn't that long ago that NPR went and interviewed one of the, the nurses who had been involved in that in Virginia. She said, I can see now it was, it was so wrong. But, like so many through history, her excuse was, I was just following orders. Unless you think that, unless you think that there is no continuation of this idea, that the less desirable in society should be eliminated in the sense of being able to ro- procreate. 2013, it was revealed that 148 female prisoners in two California institutions were sterilized against their will between 2006 and 2010. And while the Virginia law had been repealed in 1974, 1978, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare now the Department of Health and Human Services, actually put together guidelines for how they could continue to sterilize people against their will if it was judged to be in the best interest of society. But don't worry. The eugenics wars, uh, you know, that's the stuff of science fiction, right? Not according to Justice Holmes, it's not.